talk um, with Esteban Garaz, Fixing Dysfunctional Signaling and Type 1 Diabetes on the Right Track or a Lost Cause? That's a large and very important question, and I'm really interested to hear what he has to say um, today. He's actually the group leader um, in the Signal Transduction Metabolism Laboratory at the ULB in Brussels and um, hails from Argentina. He um, has uh, hit some of the, uh, some very interesting laboratories along his training route, uh, including, um, you know, Melbourne University and uh, Monash University, as well as Autonomous University in Madrid, Spain. And uh, for a time he was in Toronto. So um, I just wanted to give a little bit about a uh, little background for him. Uh, Esteban brought to the ULB the particular experience with advanced uh, molecular biology, including complex transgenic models and firsthand experience on the role of protein tyrosine phosphatases in the development of metabolic disorders, including diabetes and liver cancer. He has developed and consistently pursued an innovative research line on mechanisms of insulin producing beta cell dysfunction and the death in the pancreas. Um, and obesity-associated metabolic uh, dysfunction in the liver. The key strength of his laboratory is the combined use of molecular biology, animal models of diabetes, and human samples to translate research from the bench into the clinic. Welcome, uh, Esteban. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, and I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. We have a, a bunch of people in the in the room here, and I'm sure they'll have some questions. Uh, so if you hold those to the end or uh, drop something in the chat, that'd be great. Take it away. Thanks a lot, Monica. It's uh, really a pleasure to be in the Sugar Science. It's a fantastic initiative, so really happy to share our research for the community. And indeed, so this is the title of, of my talk, and I will try to address, I don't know if I'm going to succeed, but at least uh, to give a flavor of what we do in the lab. So basically, this is our research strategy that we follow. We base uh, our studies in the available uh, screening uh, strategies for type 1 diabetic patients. Clear examples are the genome-wide association studies, but also we look at uh, available data sets and single cell and bulk RNA, seq and proteomics. Uh, we identified some pathways that we know that may be uh, associated to the disease, and we then model the, the disease with the particular focus on the uh, insulin-producing cells, the beta cells in the pancreas that are associated, obviously, with type 1 diabetes. We work in vitro with human stem cell differentiated beta-like cells, and also with in vivo models where the the method that uh, or, or the model that generally is used is are the NOD mice. Uh, and we go back and forward between in vitro and in vivo, hoping that uh, we will uh, find a, a therapeutic strategy that uh, can be then eventually evolved in a clinical trial for, for the patient. So I will show today some examples of, of this strategy that we have been following. The main focus of our research and what uh, we base our studies uh, are the protein tyrosine phosphatase. Tyrosine phosphatase are proteins that belong to, to a family that plays an important role in signal transduction. They counteract the activity of kinases. However, these proteins, they had not been followed as much as kinases, and they are historical recent. First, that kinases are involved in cancer, so there is a, a high 
interest for uh, pharmacological, let's say, inhibitors of kinases. But phosphatase, if we think about it, they are the proteins that do the desulfurylation. So they turn off the signaling and as, are as important as kinases for, for the cells. So I'm focused uh, today on, on tyrosine phosphatase that we know that are candidate genes for type 1 diabetes, at least some of, of the members. And they're important not only for type 1 diabetes, but for many other autoimmune, uh, autoimmune uh, disorders. Uh, and there are two groups or, or two main subgroups of tyrosine phosphatase, the receptor phosphatase and the non-receptor phosphatase. And I will focus this talk today in one particular non-receptor phosphatase that is PTPN2. Uh, and the reason is because polymorphisms on this uh, tyrosine phosphatase here uh, in red have been associated with the development of type 1 diabetes. PTPN2 is expressed in both immune system, but also, and importantly, in pancreatic beta cells. Uh, and again, so these uh, proteins, they are switch off. So if we think about an autoimmune disorder where the switch off is not there, that may uh, imply that the inflammatory signaling can be enhanced. And basically, this is our main hypothesis, that this regulated activity of tyrosine phosphatase in the beta cells contribute to the development of type 1 diabetes. So the uh, model that we followed to, to study the role of PTPN2 was based on the differentiation of stem cells uh, using the protocol established by, uh, well, uh, by Doug Melton, Timothy and adapted and actually also developed by uh, Timo Tonkowski in Finland. That is the protocol that we got and we follow. Timo is a, is a good collaborator. And we differentiate these cells into beta-like cells. Uh, these are human embryonic stem cells. We also work with the uh, IPS. And what we observe is uh, first, well, that we, when we differentiate in our laboratory, it's important to validate the protocol that we make uh, insulin positive cells. Uh, the percentage of insulin positive cells are around 40 to 60 percent. And what's interesting to observe that PTPN2 in the differentiation process is, uh, is uh, decreasing the, the expression of, of this uh, particular phosphatase. And in collaboration with Timo, we use CRISPR-Cas to uh, make knockout of uh, stem cells, of H1 embryonic stem cells. Uh, and uh, we differentiate this uh, knockout into beta-like cells. And what we observed that there was not measured differences. This is the insulin production, but also in number of insulin positive cells, there were not much uh, difference. So we wanted to study now the signaling of this knockout. So this was done again in collaboration with uh, Timon Tongoski. Now in the lab, we have generated many other knockouts for different phosphatases, and we are studying the, the signaling. So we wanted to know what happened when PTPN2 is not there in these uh, beta-like cells or in beta cells. Uh, and we know that PTPN2 is, as I mentioned in the interaxis, phosphatase are switch off of signaling and they participate in the interferon signaling. Interferons are important pro-inflammatory cytokine for the development of diabetes, type one, including interferon alpha, and also type two, including interferon gamma, and both uh, when they are activated, they phosphorylate the stat uh, proteins that are transcription factor. And when these proteins are phosphorylated, come for dimers that go into the nucleus and activate gene transcription. 
So what's the role of PTPN2? PTPN2 is a switch off. So what it does is to remove the phosphate for the uh, protein, particularly STAT1, and turn off the signal. And this is exactly what we observe when we generate beta-like cells without PTPN2. So we give a, a pulse of interferon for one hour, and then we follow a chase. So these are the control. We give one hour, and then after that, we start the, the chase and look for a STAT1 activity. And we observe that STAT1 is activated in the control cells by interferon gamma and also by interferon alpha. However, when PTPN2 is not there, this activation is significantly increasing in both in type 1 and type 2 uh, interferons. So uh, this, uh, this experiment was done with differentiated cells that this uh, combination of beta-like cells and non-beta-like cells. We are now running single cell RNA-seq to see what's the response between the beta and non-beta cells differentiated. But we also confirm in a pure human cell line that is the NOCBH1 cell line. And when we knock down now using a small interference RNA against PTPN2, STAT1 is significantly active in both interferon and uh, interferon alpha and interferon gamma. So it's uh, the, the signaling, the, the transcription factor is uh, significantly enhanced. So, so what? Well, when STAT1, when transcription factor is uh, enhanced, activated, our hypothesis was that the signaling was maintained for longer time on the beta cells. And if we think about the patient that uh, has a polymorphism that inactivate the, the function of PTPN2, that means that when those beta cells are exposed to a cytokine environment, they will, they will maintain this pressure or, or the signaling, this inflammatory signaling active for a longer time. So they will not be able to switch off the, the pathway. And to test this hypothesis, what we did is again, to give a chase, a pull, sorry, of, uh, of the cytokines for one hour, and then we remove uh, and we remove the cytokines and we follow the, the chase and we perform RNA-seq analysis at 24 hours. So 24 hours after the cells were exposed to, to the cytokines. Uh, and first we confirmed that the knockdown of PTPN2 actually knocked it down and reduced the expression of PTPN2 in all conditions. Uh, and what we observed is the inflammatory cytokine was enhanced and that our hypothesis was correct. So when the beta cells do not have PTPN2, 24 hours later, the signaling is significantly higher in both interferon alpha and interferon gamma. So to give an idea, only 500 genes were still active in the control cells where more than 1,400 genes, almost three times more, genes were expressed uh, 24 hours when PTPN2 was not there. And something that was also interesting that we observed is that the ER stress response was significantly higher when PTPN2 uh, was not there and the cells were exposed, the beta cells were exposed to the inflammatory cytokines, suggesting that maybe PTPN2 was also able to modulate the ER stress response. And to test this hypothesis, what we did is to knock it down again, PTPN2 and endocbh one cells with two different RNAs and expose the cells to an ER stressor or to actually two ER stressors, tapsigargine and CPA. And what we observe is that the cells that have deficient PTPN2 activity is uh, uh, the cell that it was higher, making the cells more susceptible to ER stress. 
and not only the cell that was higher when PDPN2 was knocked down, but also obviously the signaling was exacerbated. So all this was done by qPCR, and we observed actually that all the pathways of the ER stress response was enhanced. This was qPCR. We confirmed the same by Western blood. I'm showing two of them, the, the proteins that are activated by the ER stress and that are significantly enhanced when PDPN2 was knocked down. Uh, and this in endo CBH1 cells, in the human beta-like cells, knockout for PTPN2, we observed the same. So BIP, that is an important chaperone activated by ER stress, was significantly higher. And importantly, in these first human islets, when we knocked down PTPN2, these islets were provided by uh, Piero Marchetti from Italy. When we knocked down PTPN2 and we exposed the cells to the ER stress, again, the the ER stress response was higher. So not having PTPN2 make the beta cells more susceptible to ER stress and to inflammatory cytokine. What happened if we enhance the expression of PTPN2? For this, we use uh, adenovirus that is express either or the uh, 45 KB isoform or the 48 KB isoform. And the difference is that the 45 uh, isoform shuttle between the nucleus and the cytoplasm, and the 48 is located at the ER. So we tested what happened when we overexpressed these proteins in the in the beta cells. And I'm not going to show all the data with the 45, but only with the 48 that is located at the ER. And what we observe is that ER stress response is decreased when we expose the cells to tapsigarchin. And also there is a, a partial prevention of cell death. And what we observe with the 45 KB isoform that shuttles between the nucleus and the cytoplasm that is important for the inflammatory cytokine uh, signaling induced by interferon alpha and interferon gamma. So to summarize this part that's been recently published in, in diabetes, we observe that PTPN2 the deficiency enhance the pro-inflammatory uh, gene expression in beta cells that there are two isoforms of PTPN2, one that shuttles between the nucleus and the cytoplasm, and the other that is located at the ER that control the ER stress response. And I'm not going to show here the, the data, but we compare our uh, RNA-seq data set with the profile of uh, beta cell from type 1 diabetes uh, with, uh, that was published by Russell et al some years ago, and what we observe using this RIHO, that there is a correlation between the signaling of the uh, inflammatory uh, modulation when PTPN2 is not there and disposed of uh, interferon with the uh, signaling associated with beta cells from type 1 diabetes. I take this uh, between with, with some uh, concern because that's only Qing expression, but uh, it seems that actually the inflammatory response when PTPN2 uh, is not there correlates with uh, uh, type 1 diabetes. So the, now the question, that this was all in vitro. The, the, the logical question is, can we increase PTPN2 activity in beta cells or islets in vivo and have an impact on autoimmune diabetes? Uh, and to address this, we use two models and two mechanisms. First, we use a low dose of anti-C3 with interlocking uh, one receptor antagonist. This was done in collaboration with Connie Schissemans from the KUL and with Wei Wu from the, the Netherlands for the proteomics. And the idea was to uh, reverse diabetes in the recently established uh, diabetic NOD mice 
and to see what uh, proteins are uh, modulated in the uh, mice that been cured. So we give the, the dose for five days. And uh, first, we confirm that uh, this treatment with anti with the low dose of anti-C3, now it's trendy, and interleukin-1 receptor antagonist actually reversed diabetes in the NOD mice. This was published, so this was no new. And compared with a, a low dose, again, I emphasize that, it's a low dose of anti-C3 that did not reverse diabetes. So we look at what happened in in the proteins that are modulated in the pancreas. Uh, I'm not going to enter into all the pathways that we observe, but related to phosphatase, we observe a in small increase in the total phosphatase, although not significant. And not surprisingly, the phosphatase that being highly activated in the cure mice was PTP and 2, or highly expressed. And we also observe a small change in PDPN13 that is present in the immune system. And we are currently studying what, what's the role of this phosphatase. The other phosphatase that we detect were not uh, different. And this was proteomics and in the whole pancreas that obviously the beta cells are a minority. So to confirm that PDPN2 is expressed at least in some of, of the beta cells, what we did is uh, immunostaining and we correlate the expression of PTPN2 with insulin, meaning that at least in correlation, the, the beta cells have been protected, they have high level of PTPN2. Um, I'm just going to read out a chat that just came through like two minutes ago, so maybe two slides back. Do you know which PTPN2 uh, polymorphisms correlate with the full KO, full knockout, and to what extent? So in the knockout, we knock out all the all PTPs, both uh, isoform 45 and 48. Uh, so what we know is that indeed that the, that's not ourselves, but it's now in the field that the 45 KD uh, lack a, a C-terminal region that uh, allow them not to be uh, allocated in the ER compared with the 48 KD that in the carboxy terminal, they have a region that locate the protein into, into the ER. And what we think is that uh, that location, actually, what we demonstrate in the paper is important to interact with, uh, with chaperones and protein at the ER. And this is how, actually, ER stress is controlled by PTPN. I don't know if that answered the, the question. But uh, uh, so well, when we, we knock it down, we did yeah. not uh, knock it out one or the other. So we knock out the complete PTPN2. Okay. Yeah, I was asking about the polymorphism, so the, the actual uh, uh, single nucleotide um, mutation basically how not not the form not the isoform yeah so the the polymorphisms there are several polymorphisms associated with ptpn2 some they are located in the intron region and what was done actually the studies that have been uh that's been done to see what uh, what is the effect of this polymorphism is it's a loss of function Act, uh, and is in response mainly to the 45 KD, so meaning that is uh, important for the dephosphorylation of proteins, particular stat protein. So the ER was something that actually we found, and there were other laboratories looking at the role also in of this uh, ER isoform in the context of obesity, but in type 1 diabetes, we are uh, actually the only one who found that there is a role in the, in the ER and it's mainly by the, the 48 KD. But the polymorphism, we don't know whether 
is associated actually or, or they are impacting on at the the role of PTPN2 in, in the, at the ER. That's something that uh, needs to be to be addressed. So continue with the with the second uh, model that we have to activate the the phosphatase. So before we look at the expression of PTPN2, uh, however, phosphatase and tyrosine phosphatase can be inactivated by a second mechanism that is through oxidative stress. Uh, and we know that the inflammation there is uh, oxidative stress. And why phosphatase can be inactivated by, by ROS or by directive oxygen species is because of the structure of the protein. All the tyrosine phosphatase, they have a concerned catalytic site. This is the structure of PTPN1, uh, but it's the same in all the family. They have a cysteine and arginine, and the cysteine is critical for the nucleophilic attack. So to, to do the job, the phosphatase, they need the cysteine and to provide a nucleophilic attack over the phosphate of the substrate. Uh, and this characteristic of the catalytic site made them uh, actually highly propensed to uh, oxidation and inactivation by oxidative stress. So phosphatase can be inactivated by ROS production. And we know that in inflammation, we have oxidative stress. We observed that in the context of obesity. But when I started my laboratory at uh, St. Vincent's, uh, I had a very talented PhD student. And he uh, studied the role of oxidation of phosphatase in NOD mice. So what you can see in this waste plot, each line corresponds to a pancreas of one mouse. These are the controls that do not develop diabetes. These are the NOD mice that do develop diabetes. Each line corresponds to a phosphatase. And you can see that in the mice that develop diabetes, there is oxidation of phosphatase. And we show in the paper, actually, that one of the phosphatase that get oxidized and inactive due to this inflammatory context is PTPN2. So we wanted to actually um, reverse this oxidation and this inactivation of phosphatase. We tested different antioxidants. Antioxidants, they have many caveats uh, and concerns, actually. So what we wanted is to find a, a more physiological way to modulate the oxidative stress in the pancreas. And for that, we know that actually short-chain fatty acids can reduce oxidative stress. Uh, and interestingly, uh, and that was at the time where I was in Australia, I started collaborating with uh, Eliana Marino, that was at Monash as well. And she just recently published at that time a paper showing that uh, hams, so a diet that, uh, that consists in the high amylose mice starch, that's the backbone, that being acetylated or butylated actually prevent the development of uh, diabetes in NOD mice. And there is an effect of the, the diets when they have either uh, acetate or butyrate compared with the, with the controls. And since we knew that acetate and butyrate actually prevent or, or, or decrease oxidative stress, we wanted to know what happened with the oxidation of the phosphatase in the pancreas at the early stages before diabetes development. And we observe indeed that acetate and butyrate, as expected, decrease the level of oxidation of, of the phosphatase, meaning inactivation of the phosphatase, including PTPN2. So we uh, show that short-chain fatigues prevent growth formation and inactivation of tyrosine phosphatase in, in autoimmune diabetes. Uh, so then the effect was what are the effects and signaling altered by short-chain fatty acids. So oxidation of phosphatase is prevented. What happened 
with the signaling in the autoimmune uh, diabetes. Uh, and before to show the, the data that we have, uh, a small uh, remind what short-chain fatty acids are. Short-chain fatty acids are produced by the dietary fiber, uh, are produced by the gut microbiota when, the, when we eat uh, fiber. And the main example of, of short-chain fatty acids are acetate, butyrate, and propionate. And they have an important role in the organisms. They, uh, they pro are produced by the, by the bacteria, for our own bacteria, and they maintain a healthy intestinal mucosal barrier. They enhance the immune function, decrease oxidative stress, and prevent inflammation, all things that we want in type 1 diabetes. Uh, and also they have an important uh, endocrine role that reduce appetite, increase glucose uptake, and decrease insulin resistance. So the, what we did in the lab was to reproduce what Eliana have done in, the, in, in Australia, now here in, in Belgium, again with uh, Connie Gisman from the KUL. So we give to the NOD in her uh, colony uh, the, the diets. We observe actually, again, a reduction in the diabetes development. And we wanted to know what happened with the signaling at early stage in the, in the islets. So for that, uh, we use the hams -AB that produce acetate and butyrate, and the HAMS uh, diet as control. We harvest the islet and we run a single cell RNA-seq to understand what are the signaling modulated by, by this uh, diet in the islet. Interestingly, in the single cell, we observe in both, it has HAMS-AB and HAMS, the presence of both endocrine cells, and immune cells. And there were slight uh, enhance of endocrine cells, but not much difference between the HAMS-AB that uh, protects from diabetes versus the, the HAMS diet. Uh, and I can go through all the different populations, but I will focus uh, now only on the endocrine cells to understand what's the signaling affected. And what we observe is in line with uh, what we found that PTPN2 actually modulate uh, STAT1, that STAT1 is decreased in the HAMS IV or increased in the HAMS in the beta cells from the mice that develop diabetes, that many stress genes were uh, activated in the, in, the, in the beta cells that, uh, from the mice that develop diabetes, and the identity genes of, uh, of the beta cells were maintained in the hams AB, the diet that protects or produces acetate and butyrate. Uh, and it was known uh, and published by others, but we reproduced the, the results that acetate and butyrate actually increased beta cell uh, gene expression identity. And we did the same uh, experiments that were previously published, published in the ins one beta cell line. But uh, we are now also uh, studying uh, this effect in, uh, in stem cell-derived uh, beta-like cells, because it can be one of the mechanisms how we can improve actually the differentiation of the stem cells. And this is something that we are testing now. And regarding other endocrine population and something that was uh, we found very interesting between the control mice that develop diabetes and the ones that are prevented from diabetes is that in the uh, population of the alpha cells and the delta cells, we observe a cluster that here is represented by uh, the cluster one in the hams B that were a minority in the hams B and a cluster two in the delta cells that is pretty much inexistent in the hams B. 
and this cluster of uh, of cells corresponds to polyhormonal cells that uh, start expressing genes from other endocrine cells. We think that this might be the differentiation or a loss of of cell identity, uh, and this was not new. It was observed actually in in NOD mice before, but more importantly in the samples from type one diabetes. So these polyhormonal cells. What are the role of these polyhormonal cells? Still, we do not know whether they are functional or not. Probably not. Uh, but uh, but we are trying now to to identify and using again the stem cell uh, derived uh, beta-like cell and differentiation process to see what are the effect of uh, of the hands, uh, particularly the the acetate and butyrate on this uh, differentiation process. So we observed that the diet that protect from diabetes in NOD, increase beta cell function, uh, in functional genes, reduce the stress response, and preserve the identity of the endocrine cells. So to summarize this uh, part, uh, what we observe actually is that when we combine anti-CD3 low dose with interleukin-1 receptor antagonists, we increase PTP and 2 expression in beta cells and ileprom NOD mice. You may ask if this cause or consequence, and this is something that we are also eager to study using uh, knockout cells and transplanted, actually knockout cells, uh, humans, uh, beta cells, uh, and to see what happened with those uh, differentiated cells that do not have PDPN2 when we uh, give this treatment. And actually also would be nice to have the knockouts in the NOD for PDPN2 to, to find the whether it's a cause or a consequence, but we know that PTPN2, deficient PTPN2, beta uh, cells that are more susceptible to inflammatory signaling, they signal the inflammation for longer time, make the cells more attractive for the immune cells. In terms of signaling, we observed that also enhanced chemokine expression, enhanced the MHC uh, proteins, meaning that the, those beta cells, they become more attractive for autoimmune attack. Uh, and uh, also uh, PDPN2 make the cells more susceptible to ER stress. And when we overexpress, uh, at least we ameliorate this dysfunctional uh, this signal. Uh, how we can increase? Well, we observe that the uh, anti-C3 interleukin-1 receptor antagonist increased the expression of PDPN2. And I did not show the data because it was published, but uh, mainly we uh, think that this through uh, T-Rex effect and in, in hands of interleukin 10, we observe that interleukin 10 actually enhanced PTPN2 expression in the beta cells. And the other mechanism of inactivation of phosphatase is uh, through oxidative stress mediated by the inflammatory process. And the HAMSAB, obviously these two, uh, two protective systems, they do much more than this but related to, to a phosphatase activity, they decrease HAMSAB uh, diet, decrease oxidative stress and improve beta cell function. So the HAMSAB have been published before uh, that also have an effect in the T-Rex, an important effect in the immune system. In, and that was published by Deliana Marino in the in Nature uh, Immunology. Our studies now with single cells that have not been published yet also highlights that the diet can improve the functionality of the, the beta cells and the cells in, in the islets and supports the, the development of clinical trials using the, the diet in patients. 
And indeed, it was, uh, I was part of, of a clinical trial using this diet. This was funded by the JDRF. Uh, and the, the study was uh, designed mainly by uh, Liana Marino and Emma Hamilton Williams. There is uh, a fantastic uh, uh, talk by Emma in the Sugar Science presenting this clinical trial using this Hamsey B uh, diet. Uh, and also, uh, Kirsten and Sonia, where Kirsten was, uh, uh, was involved in the patient recruitment and, and and the study with, with the patient and Sonia in the bioinformatic analysis. So I have a, a, a minor contribution, but what's important to show that actually this uh, diet, they have a positive effect on, on people with established type one diabetes and patients with established type one diabetes. I'm not going to describe much of, of the clinical trial because again, was presented some weeks ago by Emma. So it's a six week, uh, it's a pilot study, the, the patients that received the, the diet for six weeks and had a 12 weeks follow-up. And the conclusion, if you haven't seen Emma's talk, spoiler alert, the, the results were really positive in this pilot study. The, it was safe and tolerable, tolerable in the patient with established type 1 diabetes, uh, induced a change in the gut microbiota, uh, that was important that returned to baseline after we finished the, the, the study. Uh, and there was actually correlation with uh, plasma butyrate and fecal acetate with glucose control. This was a pilot clinical study. Uh, so now a more uh, developed study should be done with placebo and, uh, and with people at risk of, of development type 1 diabetes. So the perspective is that uh, and, and what I would like to, to briefly discuss is that we know some pathways that can contribute to the development of, of diabetes, but uh, there is a, a, a high heterogeneity in the patient and, and not many of us actually talk about it. We, we discuss T1D as one disease, but uh, I think there are different endotypes uh, and it's not definitely not the same of patient that start, develop diabetes at early, uh, at early age with someone that developed diabetes at 30, 40 years old. Uh, we need to, to start con conceiving the disease uh, as a different, uh, let's say, subtypes of disease, and we don't know what signaling can affect in one patient or the other. And something that is important that there is a high heterogeneity also in the same pancreas in the same patient, not only between patients, but uh, in the same patient in the, uh, in the pancreas, there are islets that are completely protected from the inflammation, from the, uh, the insulitis, where other islets are completely destroyed. Uh, and we look, and when we see papers, we see, including our own papers, we see two, three, 30 islets but in a pancreas, we have between 1 million to 10 million islets. All the, the heterogeneity there, uh, uh, why these islets, some islets are protected and others are not, is something that we do not really know. So we need to start thinking about the study, the whole pancreas in 2D, or even better in 3D. Uh, and for this, I refer a collaborator, Yves Algrin from, from Sweden, uh, who actually developed a, a 3D uh, structure and, and was able to 
to image the 3D human, whole human pancreas. And I know that he's also working now with uh, type 1 diabetes. Esteban, who was that again? Could you repeat that name? Hulf, uh, Ulf Algrin from Sweden. Oh, Ulf, yeah. yeah. From Umea. Yeah. And I think Guy Rutter and, you know, uh, Richard Benninger are, are also kind of addressing that idea of the endotypes, you know, of cells um, within one pancreas, human pancreas. Like what, you know, why are they, you know, differentially attacked? And what we are looking, because that's what we have, uh, is uh, the samples from donors that is very value material, but that's the, the, the crime scene but the, of the beta cells, but the, this, the crime was probably planned many years before by the immune cells, and, and we do not have the, the complete picture. So we have some clues of, of a small portion of, of, of a pancreas, and we make big studies based on that. Uh, and what can be relevant for some patients may not be relevant for the others. So we we really uh, need to to understand more the disease. Uh, and I think it's uh, actually uh, important times and, and interesting times now with the development of, of technology. And this is the, the second point that we need to not to, uh, some people do single cell forensics, other do trans, uh, other type of transcriptomics. Some people work in metabolomics or, or immune cells. So I think we need to, a more multiomic kind of, of a study uh, in, involving different techniques. Spatial transcriptomic is, is there. The pancreas is quite complex because of all the digestive enzymes. However, I think we, we will be able to do a spatial transcriptomic soon. Combined with single uh, nuclei RNA-seq, for example, in human uh, pancreas and proteomics, and even uh, single cell metabolomics, the techniques that are there. Uh, and we need to, to start thinking in this way to, to analyze how the different uh, uh, genes and actually how different uh, pathways are affected. Uh, and, and the important thing is to, to consider that's why some beta cells are protected and why others are, are not in the same pancreas. Yeah, uh, it, it appears, you know, in speaking to a number of scientists that hopefully the understanding the etiology, the prodrome is going to yield more information to the knowledge base about, you know, how, how someone progresses to type 1 diabetes. And I would also bring up the fact that people have said, scientists have said, well, we don't want to talk about endotypes, even though we know that we're there, they are there because it's not a good business case for a farmer and others to get involved. But if you think about breast cancer, originally it was one size fits all for breast cancer. And then ultimately now it's, you know, very personalized medicine in, in its treatment. So I don't understand, you know, it seems to me that the type one diabetes could go that same route eventually. It's the elephant in the room. Uh, we know that patients they develop different type one diabetes, uh, but no one talk much about uh, And what you say, it's important. Uh, and Matthias uh, Bonharat, he was uh, mm -hmm. having this idea of combination of therapies. And, and I think it's important this combination of therapy in, in which patients actually may be effective and when uh, and how. Uh, and the last point is uh, as every single disease, the early we intervene, the better. 
uh, and type one diabetes is is not uh, is not the uh, an exception. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> I have a question about this PTPN two polymorphism. I mean, if it can be, can it be detected at sort of an early well baby check? And then for those individuals, you know, they could undergo further test of their microbiome to see whether or not they're, you know, S, uh, SCFA producing bacteria at healthy levels, um, yes. or even modify their diet at that point, if they can understand that, okay, this is someone who has, you want to call it a biomarker for PTPN2, um, yes. they could be addressed. Is anyone doing that? Um, like Tron Not there? really. And that's why I emphasize the early diagnosis diagnostic screening to know uh, not only autoantibodies, I think the, the, the genetic composition, obviously SNPs is a, suscept a susceptibility, uh, mm. let's say, characteristic, does not mean that the, the person will develop the disease, Yeah. but at least to have the person under screen uh, and based on, on, on those uh, uh, possible SNPs associated and if there is a, a family history of P1D, I think it's important to to know uh, and for the future to again to to try to to identify the patients that may go to one treatment or or the other and to or to know whether they will be at risk. For now, I mean the, the screening is auto antibodies and even we are not there yet. So I think that the a pilot screening now in Australia, also run by Christie, it's uh, it's important to see which method is more susceptible. And to, in Australia, they are thinking already to to go through a full full population screening in, in the future. And I think that's that's important. But again, we we do not know many pieces of the puzzle, and we are either, we are treating. P1D as a, a global or a, a common disease, then that we know that this is not the case. Uh, and we really need to study more the signaling to understand how this disease uh, happen and what is the, the difference and the heterogeneity between the, the patients. Yeah. I mean, even as early as you know, this year, there was another paper that came out from the HPAC consortium and others. Um, Mark Atkinson was involved, Al Powers at Vanderbilt, with alpha cell dysfunction islets from the non-diabetic GAD autoantibody positive people. So that, you know, and the, B, the B, BCM beta cell mass was still fine, but the alpha cells were going offline first. So that just, it, it just suggests more and more that the endotypes are alive and kicking. So. Yeah. Um, some, some, uh, some people, People think that alpha cells are not destroyed, but obviously, I mean, the, there is uh, an effect of, of the immune cells uh, there as well. It's true that alpha cells are somehow more resistant, but they are not directly the, the target of, of the immune cell. Yeah. So, uh, and again, it could be that for some patients is one way and for the others is the other. And I'm also intriguing about the heterogeneity in the, in the pancreas of the, the same person. So the, why some islets are destroyed some other not some say maybe because they increased uh, pdr1 so there is an, an inflammatory role there but it's really uh, unclear and, and this is something that we need to to solve in the future yeah if we need the best me... and the brightest postdocs to to join the fight i'm opening it up to the rest uh, any other questions you feel free to unmute yourself or just drop something in the chat while he said uh, you know notes all his collaborators 
yeah, I would like to thank the people that actually did most of the work in, in my lab. Uh, Bernat Elvira, a talented postdoc that now moved to the private sector and uh, Valerie that is doing her PhD, uh, super talent PhD student. Uh, many people in the lab also involved, the, the collaborators, the, the participant of the trial, the funding. Uh, and if students or, or postdoc are watching the video in YouTube and they want to apply, there are opportunities in my lab, so please write an, an email. Um, with that, I really thank you for, for the invitation. Thank you very much. I appreciate you going a little over. Um, it was a fascinating talk and really, um, really great to, to hear what's going on in your laboratory. Thank you again, and we'll um, be in touch again soon. Have a great evening. Thanks so much, Eva.